go. I feel it is important this morning to let go of some of the polish with my weekly sermons and instead see you face to face or square to square. Now, just scrolling through right now, <laughs> I see blank squares. I see profile pictures. I see some people staring at their cameras. I think I might see someone looking at their phone. I see couches and tables. I see living rooms, bedrooms, reading rooms. Here we all are right now in this moment as we are week after week. Nine months and 26 days since we started meeting online amidst the COVID-19 pandemic. 10 days, I think 10 days, 10 days until the inauguration of a new president. But on our hearts and minds this morning, it's four days since supporters of our current president attempted a violent insurrection in our nation's capital. And so here we are. My mind these past few days has been consumed with memories. Memories of visiting Washington DC and visiting the Capitol building. And despite there being throngs of visitors there, there always are. I remember how clearly Statuary Hall had a hushed reverence to it above the fray. People from all over the world gathered in that space to bear witness to a dream. The dream of a republic where democracy would shine out. We've heard the phrase, a radiant shining city on a hill. Did it do so imperfectly? And I would say it did. Did it do so because of colonialism and conquest? Absolutely, if we're honest about our history. And yet that dream that is in that space and on our hearts and minds is so much more than one group of people at one time. It is a human yearning, the yearning of the Iroquois Confederacy to live and breathe democracy. Someone reminded me just recently that democracy was not brought here by the American colonists. It was already here. It was the yearning of colonists breaking free from oppressive British rule, the yearning of enslaved Africans to be treated as fully human, to lose the chains of slavery, of women seeking a voice and a vote, of immigrants rushing to our shores for their own dreams and hopes, of African-Americans dreaming of a world where Jim Crow was no more, the dreams of today, the reckoning with our violent past, of dreams stolen from the indigenous peoples of our land, of dreams deferred among the poor and people of color, of the dream of America, free from its nightmares. Now, I think we would be fools to think the reverence invoked by our capital, by America, is a creed beyond reproach. And yet those lofty ideals are still on our lips. I remember the joy of visiting the House of Representatives gallery and perfect timing on my part, the mace of the House of Representatives was being carried into the chamber. Government was in session. That room, that place, those people granted authority by that mace, not the mace itself, but the symbol that it is a symbol of the people, of the republic, of democracy. And I remember in that moment being almost brought to tears at the sight of hearing the gavel from the speaker's chair, of simply being in that space, all of it. Of course, on top of that, I had my rage and disappointment. I had visited representatives, 
Representative Barr's office to give him a piece of my mind that day. Even tried to visit Senators McConnell and Paul uh, and just get, you know, try to get them to come out of their offices. There was no chance there. I balked at the corruption of the place. I let myself get swept up in what it all meant. This colonized land recolonized by a new nation after the Revolutionary War. I thought of all the decisions that came from the floors of the House and Senate that harmed people in this country. And yet, yet there was still a commanding reverence. And I'll leave it to people smarter than me to dissect the effects of American civil religion on all of us. But if ever there was a basilica of that public religion, it is the Capitol building. But here's where the real tears, the real tears might come. I never imagined. In many ways, my mind does not want this to, to believe this is still what happened this past Wednesday. I never imagined Im images of racist factions of Norse paganism, Nazi imagery, swastikas, SS lightning bolts, flags with Trump's name emblazoned, signs proclaiming Jesus as savior right next to them, and the flag of the Confederacy. You can't argue it is about heritage anymore. All of them in the Capitol Rotunda, in Statuary Hall, the Senate and House floors, a Confederate flag flew in our Capitol this past Wednesday. Neo-Nazis marched proudly through the halls. Insurrectionists took down the American flag and raised up a Trump flag in its place. Excrement was smeared on the walls, a woman bled out on the Capitol floors, an officer was injured beyond saving, other lives were lost. And still, and still, senators and representatives betrayed their oaths of office. The president wandered the White House wondering why his staff wasn't as excited as he was at the news. And here we are. I, I say this often, but there's always a part of me that appreciates knowing exactly what people believe. And there it is. There are no more excuses. I would argue there hasn't been an excuse worth having since Donald Trump campaigned on a transphobic, racist, anti-immigration and ultra-nationalist platform. And while we are surprised, I was surprised. And while we're still recovering what happened from last week, I need to, I really need to ask, weren't we told this was coming all along? And here we find ourselves right now in America today, feeling the jarring tension of uttering two things at once. This is not who we are, but this is who we are. How is it with your soul when confronted with that paradox? And now before you go, of course, that's not me. I just need to throw this into this space the people who attempted the insurrection believe they are true patriots. They honestly do. I would use the word traitor, but they would use the same word of me. And this isn't to make excuses, not at all. It's about naming the divide, naming just how severe the divide is. And yet we still must condemn without question what happened. Wednesday and everything that led up to it. Just as Unitarians condemned McCarthyism in the 50s at great risk to their livelihoods, just as Unitarians and Universalists throughout history have taken great risks to condemn that which violates the bedrock of our faith.
for us today, that bedrock is expressed through our shared history, the principles we carry into the world and the continual creation of this community, this experiment that we call church. And so it, it may not even need to be said, but it needs to be said anyway, right? I join with our Unitarian Universalist Association and all of my clergy colleagues in condemning what happened this past Wednesday in demanding that President Trump be resign, be removed from office or be impeached or all of the above, why not? I join in also demanding for accountability. It is not enough for our government to remove the president from office. Every Senator and representative, every enabler and follower of Trumpism needs to account for their actions. But all of that, that right there, that, that just saying that is the easy part. I've been wrestling with what to say to you beyond this point. We have had mass shootings. We have had black Americans killed in our streets. We have had all of these causes for justice and we've been called to respond. And yet something is irreparably broken after last Wednesday. And maybe it was broken all along, but there it is for everyone to see. And I have been struggling with what to say. Nothing I've said thus far should come as some surprise, but what now? That is the question clergy have been asking since Wednesday, what now? What do we say? Well, here might be a glimmer into the religious response. I could shriek at my screen for another 10 minutes. Some of you might want me to yell loudly or even louder. Some of you surely would like some hellfire and brimstone to appear today, for surely this is the time when universalism falls apart. I could yell at the screen, but the pundits on TV are doing that just fine. Instead, as a religious community, we are called to be present to one another now more than ever. It sounds so simple, doesn't it? To hear one another and give space for what we have seen, what our emotions are, how we are feeling, and to recognize that we have all seen what happens when anger is encouraged and enshrined into a movement. Many of us might want to just scream at the screen and scream in meetings and scream at board meetings and just scream all day, but we have seen what anger is doing to our country. And so will we let our anger destroy us too? Destroy our community further? And if I'm being completely transparent, underneath it all this morning, there is a volcano ready to go off. There is no serene minister here. And further beneath that volcano, it's just oceans of sadness. If it's not anger today that we bring, and instead of sadness, instead just sadness, I think it's important to say I share in your tears this morning. And that together we share in one another's tears. We share in one another's, one another's rage and bewilderment and our disappointment. Some of you want to hear about peace and unity. So do I, let me know if you find it. I could tell you that it'll be all okay. It very well might, I might repeat what I preached last week. This too shall pay it pass. I didn't see what was coming and it must pass, but it may pass into a future that we cannot anticipate. But right now, here in this space, there can be a brief moment of peace for this community. 
if only you realize that you are not alone. I feel like I say that maybe too much. Sometimes it's like, oh, there goes the minister saying we're not alone again. But right now you need to believe it, that you are not alone. We have seen what happens when people are made to feel isolated and ignored and then gathered together and unleashed. We saw it Wednesday. The unity and peace we can find here is not some heavenly enduring peace. No such a thing exists. It is a passing recognition that we are joining together in holy work. And we need to distinguish that peace and unity in our communities, distinguish between peace and unity in our communities and the calls for peace and unity that we are hearing all over the place that look to diminish the severity of what is happening around us. For too long, progressive people have said, well, if only we could go back to unity and peace. There has been no unity. There's only been the work. Some of you this morning want answers. I have no answers. I have only questions. Questions about how what happened will transform this community. We will not take on the world alone. We have cautiously laid a groundwork for being active and present in our community. We've advocated for black lives, democracy. You all know how this goes. The list could keep on going. We've cautiously done so. But are we going to remember just what's at stake here? Are we going to throw caution away and dive headfirst into the justice causes that we continue to vote for at our congregational meetings, that we continue to lift up and say we believe, and yet I can count on the same 30 people to show up as a church at those causes for justice. There's a poem on my heart this morning from the Irish poet William Butler Yeats. <laughs> it's the first thing that popped into my mind. It is, of course, his imagining of what the second coming of Christ would look like, but it was written during a time after the World War I, and he felt that the world was in disarray, just as our world is in disarray today. This is from Yeats. Turning and turning the widening gyre, the falcon cannot hear the falconer. Things fall apart, the center cannot hold. Mere anarchy is loosed upon the world, the blood did dim tide is loosed, and everywhere the ceremony of innocence is drowned. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. I feel that bears repeating. The best lack all conviction, while the worst are full of passionate intensity. Surely some revelation is at hand. Surely the second coming is at hand. The second coming. Hardly those words out when a vast image of the spiritus mundi troubles my sight. Somewhere in sands of a desert, a shape with lion body and the head of a man, a gaze blank and pitiless as the sun, is moving its slow thighs while all about it real shadows of the indignant desert birds. The darkness drops again, and now I know that 20 centuries of stony sleep were vexed to nightmare by a rocking cradle. And what rough beast, its hour come around at last, slouches toward Bethlehem to be born. For us this morning, we could perhaps read that as, and what rough beast, its hour come round at last, slouches toward Washington to be born. The center cannot hold, wrote Yeats, mere anarchy is loosed upon the world. 
In Unitarian Universalism, we have a phrase, the margins hold the center. And that is what's at stake here. We've seen the fruits of white supremacy louder and clearer than ever. Our work of lifting up the oppressed at the margins, of giving voice to diversity among and around us. Do you need a clarion call louder than this? Who was it that picked up the pieces of democracy when the insurrectionists left? There isn't a more striking image than seeing people of color picking up the shattered glass, the wood and the garbage, cleaning the fecal matter off the walls of a building we name sacred. There is no stronger contrast than the police response to the movement for black lives in DC and the response to the Trump insurrection. The center cannot hold on its own. It's clear and present right there. And so here we are. There is no easy way through this making space for how you're feeling, turning to one another. Listen, scream, cry, just breathe of all that you can do. We are not alone in this moment and we need to believe we are not. But we also need to resist the demands of perfection and the demands of the reactionary culture around us. There is a holy call ahead of all, all of us. It's the same call we've had throughout our history as Unitarian Universalists. But right now there should be no mistaking it. The most important thing, and I need to recognize, this is all still very new for us, this event. We've not experienced an insurrection like this on our soil by our own citizens, let alone a threat to our government and way of life instigated by a sitting president and his co-conspirators in the Senate and House of Representatives, including Kentucky's own representative, Hal Rogers, who voted against certification. But from this, I think the most important thing is that we do not forget. People have forgotten all of the mass shootings in our country because after decades of inaction, they've just become more names on the list. People forget the black Americans killed in our streets or in their own bedrooms by the police because that list as we've read it together is pages and pages and pages long. And there are new names on that list this morning. And that's only part of it because those who want us to forget those names would rather we debate the phrase defund the police than understand deeply what is behind it. People forget what these past four years have done to undermine our democracy. And I'm not saying I'm above this, none of this. I'm not above any of this. It has been a constant onslaught of misdirection, distraction and subversion. Case in point, Representative Annie Barr from Kentucky's sixth district, which most of us live in, would rather we focus our outrage and attention to the president being banned from Twitter instead of holding his colleagues accountable for the insurrection. If you need a definition of shame, I've just given it to you this morning. The theologian Walter Brueggemann has a call for us that, um, for us to not be weighed down in forgetting, being distracted and losing our sense of prophecy as a religious community. And he writes of this call. The prophet engages in future fantasy. The prophet does not ask if the vision can be implemented. For questions of implementation are no consequence until the vision can be imagined. The imagination must come before the implementation. Our culture is competent to implement almost anything and to imagine almost nothing. The same royal consciousness that makes it possible to implement anything and everything is the one that shrinks imagination because imagination is a danger. 
Thus, every totalitarian regime is frightened of the artist. It is the vocation of the prophet to keep alive the ministry of imagination, to keep on conjuring and proposing futures alternative to the single one the king wants to urge us as the only thinkable one. The king in that quote, of course, is our current administration, his supporters and the politicians enabling them. If many of you are going, that's quite a lot of political talk, I'll remind you that there is no election happening and that ministers can freely call out our elected leaders. We just can't tell you who to vote for. We cannot forget this. This cannot go away because this is gonna be with all of us, every single one of us for the rest of our lives. Just as some of you came of age during McCarthyism, the 60s, the Vietnam War, the civil rights area, the fall of the USSR, I watched it on TV, the, the wars in Iraq, 9-11, I was in my psychology class in high school when I saw that happen. We could list a dozen more paradigm shifting events over the past 90 years. They stay with you and you don't forget. And we cannot forget this. And we cannot forget that imagining a world where democracy thrives is right there in our faith as Unitarian Universalists. There is no excusing what happened this past Wednesday as a Unitarian Universalist. It is, a, it is contrary to the absolute foundation. And maybe absolute, it's contrary to the foundation of our principles. As a religion that has been targeted throughout our history, we have always come back to advocating for democracy. But there's also a cautionary tale in this. I once heard a story about a supervisor of mine, a senior minister who is going to Transylvania, the Hungarian region of Romania to visit the Unitarian churches there. And this was in the mid nineties. And this is after Ceausescu, who was the totalitarian communist leader of Romania uh, sometime prior. And he was unkind to the Unitarians. He thought that their views of progressive open religion, of advocating democracy were dangerous, of course, as they are to any totalitarian regime. And that minister found a spoon. You wouldn't think anything of it. It was a spoon by a lake and he brought it home with him. Many years later, he went back to Transylvania and he was meeting with a Hungarian Unitarian minister in the same region in a little village nearby and he brought the spoon back realizing that he probably should not have taken it in the first place home. And the Hungarian minister took hold of that spoon and he looked at it and there's some wording etched into it, a little maker seal on it and he started breaking down and crying because he said, this was made in my home village which Ceausescu flooded. All across that region, there are many little lakes and nowadays you cannot see the steeples of the churches of the Unitarian churches poking out through the lakes where the communist totalitarian regime flooded the Unitarian villages. He broke down crying and said, this is why we continue to meet and why we continue to sing our songs and why we continue to be a faith that cherishes democracy and freedom. Now there's a cautionary tale in this because today Romania is under a populist Hungarian government led by someone who grew up in a Unitarian village. That's what happens when we let our anger consume us. But we need to remember this moment just as that minister remembered what happened to his people throughout their history. 
I could keep going all day about our history. Time and time again, you've heard the stories, me preach them over and over again. This is what our faith calls us to do. And so I leave you with a question. How will you, the church, after you've fortified your spirits, after you've tended to one another, cared for one another, after you've raged and cried and felt your way through the fog, how will you be changed by what happened? How have you already been changed? If we cannot answer that, we are at risk of forgetting what happened here, forgetting what's at stake. It's always been at stake. Blessed be. Amen.